You're listening to the Stoked Research Surf Therapy Podcast. I'm Jamie Marshall, MSc and PhD researcher. Join me and my inspiring guests as we explore how surf therapy is changing the lives of people across the globe. So welcome to the Stoke Research Surf Therapy Podcast. I'm delighted to be sat here today with Tim Conover from Ways for Change. Um, and also a key member of the International Surf Therapy Organization that we heard about in previous episodes. Tim, thanks for, thanks for coming on. No worries. Thanks for coming to my grand's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the, probably not the most exotic place we've done an interview before, but um, considering last episode was interviewed on a yacht in San Diego, this is definitely a, a, different, a different, different experience. It's Christmassy, though. That's, that's it. The tinsel is still up. Um, I don't know when this is going out, so that might make us look really bad. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, no worries. Um, Tim, just just real simple um, to start with. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, How did you get into surfing? Just love to hear a bit about your background. Jeez, uh, how did I get into surfing? I started really late. I, f- I think the first... So I grew up in Oxford, uh, which is in the middle of England, if you're not from the UK. And went to school here. Uh, Mum and dad are from Oxford and we're in publishing. And then my dad was born in the southwest of England, um, a place called Devon. So we used to go down to Cornwall on holiday. And I think, I remember when I was a kid, I was really shy. So I used to look at surfing and think that's something I wanted to do, but I never did because I was like way too shy to do it. And then finally, when I was 17, I think I got the balls to say, right, I want to go and surf. So I had a surf lesson at a place called Harlan Bay with Harlan Surf School. And I remember standing up on like second or third wave and just totally hooked. And then, um, yeah, from when I was about 17, we used to go down quite often, would surf as much as I could, got a surfboard for my 18th birthday, got my driving license, and then used to drive down from Oxford to the beach, um, which is about a five hour drive. So yeah, Friday night, finish work, get in the car, drive down, sleep on the beach, surf one shore, one foot onshore, horrible waves. And then the next day it'd be three foot and offshore, but there was no forecasting in those days. So I remember it was like, oh, it's really hard to surf yesterday, but then today was really easy. Hmm. Um, yeah, just totally hooked. And then everything since then has been around living like in the proximity to the sea. So yeah, I went, studied at Bristol, which is again near the sea, lived in France for a bit in Bordeaux by the sea, moved down to Cape Town uh, again, because it was like winemaking and by the sea, so it's all every literally everything post surfing has been like basing my life close to the close to the waves. Awesome. Mm. And actually, yeah, you mentioned you you moved down to Cape Town, and that's where we first met almost a decade ago now. Um, ten years ago. Yeah, ten years oh, ago God. this year. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really cool. I I just to share a little bit from my part. I met Tim essentially in Cape Town with a pickup truck, a couple of kids, and a surfboard. Um, and and some and a football pitch at that point I think as well it wasn't yeah, all surf what was focused. Going on then? I, th- I remember I spent a bit of time painting something with you painting some. Did you paint Thomas's house? I think so. That was it. Yeah. That's crazy. So yeah, yeah I, I mean, I'm, we're really interested. You now run Ways for Change, which is one of the most successful and best known surf therapy organisations in the world. Not least due to, you know, popping up on the world tour regularly and and you know yeah. the ambassadors <laughs> you have with the Gadowskis brothers and, and Mikey February. But if we can rewind back to the start, because when I met you 10 years ago, I mean, I guess that was at the really embryonic stage of this 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 journey that's led to what Ways for Change is now. Yeah, it didn't exist then, did it? It was... Isiquelo Foundation. Isiquelo. So it was... Can you say that again for us? <laughs> I can't. 
Desicado. There you go. There, yeah, that's awesome. I normally can't do that twice in a row. Uh, so it was. How did it start? It was so Ticket to Ride is a surf, um, a surf travel organisation. It's run by two friends of mine. So I actually when I was at university, I used to work at Harlan Surf School, teaching people how to surf. And then I went down to Cape Town to work on a vineyard because I wanted to get into the wine industry. And then Will and Lindley, who founded Ticket to Ride, um, phoned me one summer and said, "Hey, do you want to run the surf?" surf travel organization I was like yeah I'd love to so spent quite a few years taking people surfing from Cape Town all the way up to Mozambique that's how we met actually wasn't it you came up on one of their trips Um, and then I'd have time off in between uh, groups of of people coming down so I took yeah I started like a small surf club for kids from one of the townships so got like a really beaten up crappy hire car and used to drive into um, Massapumulated Township and just take kids down the beach and whenever I was in Cape Town, I'd always do that. And it became, it just became really, really fun. Like it was like highlight of, literally like highlight of the year would always be like getting back to Cape Town, getting back to Massey, taking the guys down the beach. And then, yeah, just, it just grew from that. So it was, it was me and a bunch of guys from the, from Massey Township. And then we had some people get involved as researchers and the research showed like a bunch of different outcomes and the parts of the program that were making the difference. And we are like, well, if we know the part of the program that's making the difference and the outcomes, then we can... Um, turn it from something that was very unstructured into like a quantifiable, measurable course, and we could take that from us that course from this little township in Cape Town and put it all the way across South Africa and actually now further afield in Africa. So it's been, um, yes, yeah, been quite a journey, <laughs> totally unexpected, but really cool. Yeah, and you were, I mean, I think when you were there, it was it was those early days. It was like, yeah, just like hang out, go to Massey, pick kids up, go down the beach before anyone had come down to do any research on us at all. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, you saw it probably as most unstructured and probably most fun. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm eternally grateful for that experience because I'm pretty sure that's planted the seed, which has <laughs> led to me being here. So yeah, it's all on you. My parents probably want to have a strong conversation with you, but yeah, yeah, mine as well. <laughs> thinking, what have we done with our lives? But uh, that's that's so cool. And 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 maybe could you just obviously, I, I hope we have some some awesome listeners in South Africa who can relate to sort of the, yeah. the, the areas you're talking about and how's it to all of you. Um, but uh, for, for, you know, anyone else who's listening, can you tell us a little bit about the sort of the, the places you're working, Masipumalele, for example, the start one, what, what, what kind of challenges are the young people you're working with facing? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, so being from the UK, uh, and you got the National Health Service. Like, if you get sick, then you're looked after. And I remember the first time I went to South Africa, and a friend of mine was like, oh, "Have you got health insurance?" I was like, "What? What? Like, <laughs> I need health insurance? Like, the government's there for me." So, like in South Africa, you've got like massive wealth inequality. So if you are employed and from you know a stable home, often you'll have like health insurance and you have like some education kind of support so your life is relatively structured and there's a safety net underneath you but then if you live at the other end of the scale you'll live in what they call like a township so it's um usually the result of economic migration people coming into cities looking for work there's not enough space for a lot of these people so they um build houses out of whatever they can find quite often wood um tin sheeting and stuff like that so it's very informal no real services, so you know, no water, no sanitation. Um, schools normally come if subsequent to a community growing, so you often find like pretty big communities with no hospitals, no schools. Um, if you get sick, there's nothing like you don't, you know, you can't afford health insurance. And there's definitely not a government um, provided healthcare service, so it's um, it's tricky. So a lot of the places we work 
um, are sort of very foreign to me, like very little structure, um, very few like referral pathways if you get sick or if you're looking for help or anything like that. You, you basically live a day-to-day existence um, and you see what happens when you wake up in the morning and yeah. you see what you've survived through when you go to bed at night. So it's, um, yeah, it can be quite challenging to work in, but it's it's really re- like rewarding when you start like a, I mean, that's the cool thing with Waste for Change. It's all run through the communities and we train communities how to do it. So when you see like a, a community like fully adopt like a surf program and build a little beach centre and like forge these weird little referral pathways and through the community watch neighbourhoods and stuff like that, it's um, it's really, really cool. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's always a challenge. Like when you do it in, you know, when you work in the health sector in a country like the UK where it's so established and there's you, there's professionals left, right and centre who can refer or, you, or give advice and you end up working somewhere where you, like you're supposedly the expert and you've got no training in it yourself. It's it's quite it's quite tricky. So um, yeah, it's cool. And it, you know, the community tends to be quite quite tough to grow up in. You know, there's a lot of um, domestic abuse. Gang membership is massive because the police force is really ineffective. So um, different communities tend to have these little vigilante gang groups. Mm-hmm. So violence is quite high. Um, so yeah, if you're a young person, you tend to experience a lot of um, unpleasant things. So yeah, challenging place to work, but super interesting. Yeah. And and I mean that segues really nicely, I guess, into, I mean maybe just tell us a bit about ways to change. Um, I know we mentioned already like the real grassroots start, and actually you yeah. obviously have you have a great TED talk that um, you'd sort of tell this in a bit more detail, and I'm yeah. sure we'll we'll put a link to that um, uh, below this. But yeah, just just can you tell us like wh- where 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 ways for change sort of came from, what and what it does now, what it achieves, and what it what yeah. it does to help young people from the situation you just described. Uh, well, I came out of the surf, literally like a little surf club that I started on a weekend. And then um, a lady called Elizabeth Benninger uh, did her PhD um, around types of programming that could be introduced to these uh, communities to help kids uh, become more resilient to their surroundings. I think that's that's been written up into a bunch of different papers if, if you're looking at, I think it's um, Benninger on... Um, social connectedness I think it is online but uh, yeah we took that and we designed a program so basically what Waste Change is it's um, it's a well we call it a surf therapy course but it's surfing combined with mind body therapy um, it's all run by local communities so we'll identify like one or two community leaders actually today like depending on the community there'll be like 10 community leaders we'll train them up in the methodology and their job is to build a little beach centre so most of the communities that we work all the communities are oceanside but never you know very few have a history of ocean use so we'll drop a shipping container um, or we'll find like a derelict building and we'll renovate it um, or the coaches will renovate it they then work through schools or community watch um, social services if they exist or other NGOs that are operational and the goal is to identify kids who have been through the most adversity and who are struggling the most mm-hmm. um, in life, they, they get referred into a program uh, where once a week they go surfing, uh, they'll learn a bunch of different behaviours that help them cope with the emotions that they're experiencing. So it could be meditation, it could be some like basic counselling techniques like anchoring and other things. Um, and there'll be loads and loads of surfing because the surfing is very good for their confidence. Um, but the behaviours that they learn make them more resilient to what goes on around um the beach and also their lives away from the beach because you know we can't we can't be for them be there for them like seven days a week so Mm -hmm. the goal is create a safe space they can come down to have fun 
try something they never thought they could do before, but also learn behaviours they can take home so that when they're having a difficult time, they can remember, oh, well, I've been taught this and this behaviour helps me feel strong or feel connected or you know, remember that I'm a person of worth. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I guess, in its, its purest, simplest form, it's surfing and mind-body therapy combined. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started tiny. It was in one community in Cape Town. It's now We now work across, I think, about eight communities on the South African and Liberian coast and then um, this coming year actually it's going to expand quite a lot into mm-hmm. I think about 10 other countries in Africa which is going to be cool that's very cool and I do want to I definitely want to touch on where we're going next but there's this one thing I'd really love you to unpack and I've been privileged to experience this personally yeah. I'm sure I want to just touch on it and as you know from our work together previously I'm very interested in a research sense for safe spaces and things like that yeah, yeah. but I love the sort of anecdotes surrounding is it Kailisha that we visited a few years ago Oh yeah, Kailicha. The story about that beach and what it was before you guys went in there and what it's become now, not just for like your groups, but yeah. for the whole community. It's Yeah, it's I mean, um and it's true actually of most of the beaches we now work at, but so that there's a history in South Africa of um cultural segregation, they call it apartheid, but different cultural groups uh, were granted access to some some um, parts of the community and Others were denied it. So beach beach apartheid was like the segregation and separation of beaches depending on your skin colour. So um, a lot of the beaches or coastal areas close to the township communities typically had little investment and were seen as being, or were actually became very violent as, as a result of it. So Kailicha is one of them. We oh, When we opened there, what was it? It's 2011. 2011 or 2012? I can't remember what it was. But it was really violent. I think it was on... I think this might be nonsense, but from what I remember, it was on like the UN's list of some of the most violent places in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So you had big, big problems with gang violence in Kailicha Township, a community of like a million people. Um, and most of the gang violence would ultimately finish on the beach because it was deserted. So if you were going to, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to kill someone, you do it on the beach. So when we open programs there, um, the beach is like 100 metres away from the community, but it was derelict. We would have a deserted beach and most of the time actually it was quite peaceful but every now and again you'd come across like a like, yeah like a dead body and you'd have to kind of make the beach safe and you'd have people watching out to see if anything was going to go on so that was 2011 2012 and then now it's amazing now it's like there's about 100 surfers a day using the actual beach itself uh, lifeguards are fully active uh, we've got this rad kind of community center built out of i think six different shipping containers um, and because the beach is now busy uh, and kids now walk through the dunes to get down there, it used to be kind of out of bounds because um, the dunes were lethal. But now, yeah, you get like loads and loads of people surfing, people come down the beach and it's safe. There hasn't been a drowning or incident of crime there, I think, for about 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and all all we did is make the beach active. So we didn't solve the crime. I think the crime, to be honest, has probably just gone elsewhere. But now the beach is... Um, it's like an asset to the community so people go down there and it's uh, no it's rad it just shows what happens if you just literally introduce a few little services and you make a you give community the tools to take ownership of what was previously derelict um, shows what can happen so yeah there's, there's the same is true of quite a few of the beaches that we work at um, and actually you want to go and see one of them you're going up to Liberia yeah. <laughs> in a couple of weeks so you're next adventure I will in fact by the time this goes out I will be in Liberia so yeah, yeah really looking forward to it. how did you find um, that, that expansion maybe you could tell us a little bit about that moving out of South Africa into mm. you know a different country and not just a different country but um, 
for anyone who doesn't know their African geography, Liberia is a long, long way from South Africa. Um, yeah, how, yeah. How did you? How did that happen? And how did you find how, find that transition? Uh, how did it happen? We uh, we. So what every every now and again, I think actually more and more regularly these days, we, we get emails from um, from people who see the work and say, "Hey, like we'd love to kind of take some of what you do and apply it in our area." So what we've always been trying to do is open source our material as much as possible. So if you if you want to run a surfing program, just go on our website and download the curriculum or a little starter pack manual or something like that. So um, what we wanted to do initially was reach out to people who might not have the either the infrastructure or the materials to reach out to us so like a lot of very remote communities are offline so they can't get online uh, go on the internet and find out about us so we went to friends and different development development agencies like USAID and Mercy Corps and we said hey guys like we're very happy to train other organizations to deliver like a waste for change or like a surf therapy program um, so they sent out to their network uh, all across like various different conflict zones an email saying, hey, if any of you want to introduce surfing to your coastline, go for it. Like These guys mm-hmm. will help you. Eventually, we got a few emails back and one of them came from a university in Harper, which is on the border with the Ivory Coast. Um, and the university has a peer counselling programme and the peer counsellors, one of their jobs is to go out into the community, which is super rural, very poor, and deliver youth services. Um, and they said, hey, like we're by the beach, we'd love to introduce surfing to our youth uh, service kind of portfolio. And we said, yeah, well, we'll train you. Yeah, come down to Cape Town, we'll train you up, we'll equip you. Uh, we actually managed to provide them with a bit of funding. Um, and yeah, it was awesome. Just it, literally like across the whole continent, um, we managed to share this program. And the guys now, did, you know, they've put their own kind of local twist on it, but it still looks and feels very much like the programs that operate in South Africa. Um, and it's like, you know, there's never surfing there before. I think they used to call it sliding or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, I remember the first time I went up uh, with Matt, the guys are all surf. Well, they're like belly boarding on these pieces of wood that they've just taken out of the, um, literally of the jungle that spills out onto the beach. It's it's awesome. And now you know you've got this really remote community. I mean, to get there, there are no roads, so you fly in with um, this tiny little Cessna plane and doctors and things like that. Um, so yeah, this you fly into this tiny little community, and now there's 150 surfers there. It's um, it's really cool to see and surfing. It doesn't mean what it means in England or South Africa. It means something totally different there because it's introduced in a health context. So it's all about community and having fun and you know, looking after each other and stuff, which, um, yeah, that has been it's amazing to watch. Mm, that's awesome. And I, I like to think that speaks to maybe where surfing originally came from. So Yeah, I reckon. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, maybe I need to do a bit more history digging there, but... Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not a historian. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm also gonna take that moment. Um, as you mentioned, Tim, I'm going out there very soon, and we'll be out there when this comes out. A big shout out to a few of our listeners in Scotland who donated a load of boards. Um, that I will be flying out with thirteen shortboards to. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, support the surf club yeah. out there, and you know, get some guys, get some guys ripping on those. So yeah, mm. just wanted to take a moment. Big thank you, you guys. You're all superstars. Yeah, yeah. thank you very much for that as well. That'll be. I mean that. If you go, I mean, you'll see it when you go into Monrovia. There, there's nothing in Liberia that supports surfing, so everything is donated. So one surfboard that was donated four years ago will still be pristine, and they, everything gets looked after so well because mm-hmm. it's there. You know, there are super rare commodities when surfboard comes when the surfboards come in. So um, yeah, it's very very kind. Anyone who donated, thank you very much. Yeah. 
and maybe maybe you've got experience with this i can't wait to find out you see occasionally on youtube the old clip of waves out there you know what are the waves like out there isn't you know is this uh is this something that one day hopefully surfers will be traveling from the uk the us australia to go I visit so, this yeah. If you, oh Jesus, if you can get there, it's, um, I, actually no, to be honest, like Robertsport, which is the famous one, everyone knows that one, that's just outside Monrovia, so you can fly into Monrovia, it's not too hard actually, from from the US and the UK, you can fly in in like six hours or so, you land at Monrovia, and then Robertsport, which is this insane kind of left-hand, series of left-hand point breaks, I think it's about a two-hour drive outside of the city, um, but no, where you're going is, uh, is probably about as remote as it gets. Um, but the waves down there just, yeah, I mean, I know there is, um, in theory, there's a road being built at the moment that is going to link, uh, it's like a big highway all along the West African coast, mm-hmm. which probably actually will become like the world's greatest surf highway in like <laughs> history because the waves there are insane. But where you're going is, um, yeah, there's this left-hand river mouth that um, that is just, oh, it's like a mini version of Mandaka that no one, no, there's one guy actually I know has surfed it other than um, the, the waves change guys. He's, he was a doctor. I think what's he called? Ian Mountjoy. So he was with um, with Partners in Health, who run the health infrastructure down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember like we flew into Harper once, and we just saw him, and we're like, "Dude, like, do you, do you surf here? Like, what are the waves like?" And he had been surfing this place by himself for like a year, maybe more. And it's this like four hundred meter long, five hundred meter long left hand river mouth, and he just surfs it completely by himself. Yeah. Um, there's a few guys who like have their dugout canoes and they do their fishing. Um, but this guy had just been surfing there for two years, totally by himself, um, and the wave is just—it's oh, it's, it's about <laughs> as perfect as it gets. That's that's awesome to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If this swell, but like it's West Africa, so the swell tends to be a bit more hit and miss. But yeah, no, that that's really cool. I mean, it'd be great. You know, the, these countries are coming out of some difficult times. Obviously, Liberia had two civil wars, and most recently, really, yeah. um, the Ebola epidemic in 2015. Yeah really hit it hard but it is is great to see that you know not only you guys doing work but there is mm. i know robber sports a lot more set up for this but you yeah know, it'd be great to see surfers actually going there and contributing yeah. and leaving boards behind and yeah well surfing surfing's really good for local economies I and mean, there was the economist wrote about it the other day the other day like three or four months ago and i can't remember the specific percentage but if um if there are quality waves in the community it, it, there's a very a uh, strong correlation with economic growth. So the the fact that West Africa and actually, to be honest, Africa, the African continent in general, all the best waves that have come out in the surf media recently, they're all in Africa. I think everyone's looking at Africa as this new surf destination. Um, so you know, the, the, the connecting some of these super remote communities to the ocean, making the community ocean safe, ocean aware, making the the beach like a community health asset is one thing but opening them up to surf tourism is another um because i mean ultimately you need to promote economic growth and that's going to benefit the community a lot a lot uh, deeper in the long term so yeah i mean there's there's amazing waves out there and the infrastructure is slowly coming along so um yeah it'll be interesting to see what you find yeah well, I'm glad I'm getting out there before hopefully we launch a little stampede of uh, <laughs> people going out to explore it but um, and, and something that kind of taps back to that, talking about Africa in general, um, something you guys have done really well as an organisation actually is linking with local surfers, um, yeah. some surfers who have actually sort of been quite involved with your programme. Um, I'm just thinking about, obviously you yourself have sat on the WSL with Strider and everyone and sort of told about ways to change. But more than that, you've got Mikey February Mikey yeah. representing, you've got Alfonso Peters, 
yeah, yeah. who just recently was representing South Africa at the mm. at the World Longboard Championships, which yep. was awesome. And I know he has a very personal story that relates to the sort of work mm. you guys do. Um, can you just tell us, a little, and, and obviously the Gdowskis brothers, obviously the Positive Vibe Warriors getting yeah, involved yeah, with you great. guys. How, how did that come about? And how has it been sort of tying you, linking in with the performance side of the surfing, yeah. as it were? Um, I mean, we've always been quite lucky because it's, it's, I think the genesis of West Strange was really grassroots. So um, everyone does it because we love it. We're not doing it for any other reason than... We've we've done it before. We were funded. <laughs> we would be doing it. We weren't funded. And I think there's this kind of infectious like enthusiasm for it. There's people just come and get involved, and the sites are amazing. Like when you go to one of the programs, now one of the best lessons I learned is like right when we started Ways to Change. I used to take kids from Massey Township down to the beach. I try and have conversations, and they just look at me like I was this weirdo. They're like, who's this like random kind of white dude trying to talk to me? And the first um, coach, Apish. Uh, who's from Massey came and he started these conversations the whole organisation changed like these conversations just started flowing and it was then that we realised well that the whole you, you just you have to work through and you have to empower communities to do, that do their own thing like my role as an outsider has got to be to you know do the research run the training like get some money in so that the local communities can do their own programmes that's culturally sensitive and, and it's sustainable so I think whenever you go to one of our sites like it's just there's so much energy and it all it just flows through it so you take anyone out there like Mikey or the Gadaskis or anything like that and they they see it and you can't help but leave just go that's just the coolest thing so Mikey Mikey's been coming up to to the programs yeah for years like two or three years and he he, and again he just saw I think he saw some online he was like hey I just want to come and hang out so he did then he he did a coffee table book for us in 2015 I think um, just took some beautiful pictures and he was selling it at the Jeffreys Bay WSL event um, and they obviously like they're, they're very kind like the WSL guys were very kind they always put us on the J-Bay kind of webcast and stuff so a few people saw it I think Pat um, and Tanner were down there one year they saw Mikey selling the book and the conversation sparked up and they're like oh we'd love to get involved like what we can what can we do to help and from there, like a yeah, the idea of like a board drive was mm. kind of born, and then I think they thought they get like a hundred or two hundred boards, and they got seven hundred, and then like a documentary came that just got released actually um, about a week ago. Really, really cool. Actually, it's mm. on iTunes if you want to watch it. Well, I'll um, make sure there's a I'll make sure there's a link to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you. And um, yeah, it's just been rad. And I think I think that's the unique thing about like the work that the guys do is because it's because it's all done in like home language it's all done through the local community um it's so hard not to be drawn in by it and a lot of people just want to get behind it because it's it's a really effective way to drive change it's like well you know we're a very small team at ways for change and our goal is to support and train communities to do their own thing so like a little bit of funding goes a hell of a long way um when it drives these totally new surf communities so um mm-hmm. yeah it's been a it's been a cool journey i think that the human side of surfing or the social side of surfing, I think is starting to get realized as well now. So you've always had like the big, in fact, and like rightly so the big environmental push because we use the ocean and surfboards are probably the least sustainable thing on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) But also if you look after the sea and you keep the sea clean and it becomes a place that we want to go to, I mean, it's irrefutable. Like it's, it's one of the healthiest, most positive things that you can do is to go surfing and the your research everyone's research is starting to show that if you live by the sea 
um, you can dramatically improve your life by just going surfing every once in a while or going swimming once in a while. So it's, um, I think that's a message that hopefully the WSL and the pro service are going to help us push as well, which is going to be, it's going to be huge, I think. Yeah, that's, that's, it's so cool to hear. And, and I can totally confirm if you ever get a chance to go down to a Ways for Change session, I'm sure people can get in touch and, and you know, yeah, yeah, come yeah. and experience it. But if you experience it, it is just, it really it blows you away it's just you can't leave that place without yeah. ear to ear grins and just That's cool you know it, so yeah. so frothing on it but but the other thing as well is it does hit you hard because the the coaches are very open about the situations the kids are coming from mm. as well which i think is really really valuable it's understanding you know that there's a reason why yes it's really positive these sessions are really positive but there's a reason why it's yeah. going on um so yeah kelly kelly if you're listening you know get involved come on <laughs> um but yeah that that's that's just just so so awesome to hear and like maybe i just want to sort of bring this back and this might this might you know this might be a bit of a spoiler for some of the stuff you mentioned on the the ted talk but but if we're talking about tim conover and and what surfing means to you and and you know yeah. what, what what does surfing mean to you throughout you know maybe through your personal experience but also through your journey with ways to change oh it's just fun it's like a, it's the easiest way to meet people um and our human connection is vital. I think that's the thing that keeps people happiest. It's like if you're isolated and you know you're not active, it's very easy to become sad and kind of down. But like if you're in a new place and you don't know anyone, I mean you're about to find this. You're going to like the loneliest, most isolated place on earth uh, in Harper. But the second you get there and you pick up a surfboard, you're going to have a hundred new friends. And it's the um, that's the thing that I love about surfing is you can go to these crazy places. We don't really know anyone and maybe no one surfs and you pick up a surfboard and you catch a wave and immediately someone who doesn't speak your language who might be from a totally different cultural background wants to speak to you and you want to speak to them so it's this point of um yeah it's a way to meet people it's a way to have fun and it's just fun you know like if you go and catch a wave but you just get this rush of endorphins and adrenaline that makes you feel better um which i yeah i really need because you know the older you get the more complicated life becomes <laughs> being able to get out in the water you know, and again it's really cool but um, yeah surfing's always been really cool like I was really shy as a kid and the second I went in the sea I still remember like I met so many people and it was just it was re- a really big part of me kind of overcoming like a lot of kind of personal barriers to talking to people and taking risks and chances like I used to literally hide away from everything and then went surfing and slowly slowly got used to like meeting people and getting out of my depth and putting myself in situations that I'd never ever have had the courage to do before I think having that common point of connection with people makes it a lot easier so yeah I'm not the best surfer but I don't really care like I love just getting in the water um I love traveling with a surfboard um especially to places like Liberia um more coming up this year like going to some other places which is gonna be quite fun um yeah no it's it's uh I can't, yeah, I can't really imagine not doing it anymore. Yeah. I don't know, I've seen you throwing some pretty cool shapes on a, <laughs> on a, on a funky twin fin at J-Bay before, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. Was that, was that Dane, Dane's old board or something, or who was it? That was a nice, that was no, a nice No, it's Donald Brinks. Ah, that's he it. was, he's lovely, he's this amazing, really wonderful, um, he's South African actually, so grew up in Fishhook, and then he moved out to California, um, and he makes the most beautiful kind of twin fins and asymmetrical shapes and he made a bunch of boards for the board drive with um the, with the Gadaskis and Mikey and then uh he was very kindly gifted me a board when I saw him down in Jeffreys Bay and it's, and it's this beautiful kind of old twin fin um 
but I mean, yeah, you surf that Jeffrey's Bay, like everyone surfs well at Jeffrey's Bay because the boat's just built for it. Um, yeah, I was trying to surf that on a mushy wave. I'm glad no one's seen that yet. <laughs> you bring it up to Liberia, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. And, and we touched on this before. Um, where, where, where's Waves for Change going next? And maybe even this is probably where we might link into your on the board of directors for the International Surf Therapy Organization. Yeah. yeah. Um, with some other clowns. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the room. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Just just where do you see where do you see Waves for Change going? You sort of you've hinted at a few irons you have in the fire um and maybe that does link in with some of the isto stuff um yeah i mean well so isto specifically so international surf therapy organization we want to make it easier for people to start surf therapy programs that's the main thing like um i think if you work in the social sector and you find something that works you just got a duty to share it i think in the corporate sector is a bit different because you have ip and it has value and you can realise the value and make lots of shareholders very happy. But I think in the social space, if you've got something that works, you just got to share it um, because it can benefit a lot of people. And surf therapy does benefit a lot of people. There are a small number of organisations that have um, the resources to do the research, which is how ISTO was, was basically born. Um, the idea of bringing together some of the more established organisations out there and saying, hey, like we've all managed to survive like four or five years of doing this. Let's collaborate on some research. So... Uh, we've got one or two little research projects going. One is looking at um, the physiological effect that surfing has on you. We're doing that with a new school in New York. Um, we're doing another research project um, looking at some surfing and autism programs, but it'll be one of the first... M- most of these programs or studies have been done on um, organisations operating in Northern Hemisphere or um, kind of first world settings. There's never been a similar thing done in a, in a third world or developing setting um so that's going to be the first study of its kind so those two are are really cool we're going to contribute those to isto and hopefully what isto can become is this really rich resource for good quality research so we can unlock uh, bigger funding in the sector so that more surf therapy organizations can benefit from that that would be really cool um and then yeah we just want to open source everything that we have so program designs curriculum and share them with people so one of the things we're trying to set up, or we are setting up, is we're flying lots of people to Cape Town next year who are starting something. Like they maybe they have a a youth organisation they want to introduce surfing, or maybe they have a uh, a surf program or a surf club or something that's embryonic and they want to grow it. So we're bringing them down to Cape Town, um, training them up, or training them up, sharing everything that we know, um, and saying, "Hey, this is everything we know. All our." successes in our thousands of mistakes <laughs> saying hey take this and in your own context do your own thing and, and go for it um because that would be awesome and we could i think that's the challenge like a, like like in charities i know you can become quite top heavy and quite kind of slow and you can take on a huge amount of funding and your budgets can become enormous and can become quite difficult to make meaningful change but if you you know the goal of this change is try and stay relatively light run really good quality programs that we can do research on and then just share as much as we possibly can and the more you share the more people can take the learning and develop something from an evidence base instead of doing what we did which is just try something and make hundreds of mistakes and eventually happen on something that works so yeah i think that's that's yeah that's where we're gonna head um so I think we'll help. I think the goal is like help ten organisations get something going next year, contribute more research to um, to ISTO, 
help Chris and the guys at ISTO raise some money for a ISTO 2019 conference. Um, and yeah, we've got programs of our own to actually run in <laughs> South Africa and Liberia. So hopefully between all of that, we'll end 2019 still smiling, <laughs> hopefully. And if not, we just jump in the water. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, 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 if you don't mind me um, asking as well, just you mentioned some of the, the startups that you're flying over next year. Yeah. Um, and I know we've already we've already had a chance to talk yeah. off the microphone about this, but do you mind sharing where some of those things, are, one of those pro- some of those projects are? Because they're in really, yeah, cool I, mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've already mentioned on this podcast, the amazing guys out in Somalia. Um, yeah, yeah. But it'd be great to hear some of those settings, like and places that aren't traditionally, you know, associated with surfing, which for me is very exciting. So yeah. the crew, so the guys that are coming so far, we've got um, well, there's obviously Ilward and the um, uh, sorry Elman Peace Foundation from Somalia. There's some guys from Ghana, uh, Sierra Leone, hopefully Bangladesh, um, Peru, Argentina, uh, the Caribbean side of Costa Rica. So. Um, some guys who are working in a really difficult barrio just outside um, Puerto Limón. It's one of the main uh, parts, one of the main communities uh, through which a lot of the cocaine goes up mm-hmm. um, into Central America and America. So it's a very difficult place, uh, part of the country. Um, they're the ones at the moment. Oh, there's Vanuatu, there's Trinidad um, yeah. and Tobago. D- did I see Cuba on the list? Hopefully, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we can get that one moving along as well. So it's um, it's cool. I mean, we have some really simple kind of um, criteria to pe- to get people selected. We we literally just send them a curriculum and they can do a few sessions and write some basic reports. Then um, then it shows that they're active. It shows that they're actually delivering some programs and they want to learn. So then we bring them down. So we've got yeah, lots and lots of different people piloting things at the moment. Um, but yeah, the goal is is ten. 10 organizations through some training next year. Um, and if we can do more, then we'll definitely do more. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. It's going to be cool. Um, yeah. And if if they all grow and there's like surf therapy on 10 new coastlines and you know, 10 brand new organizations, that would be, that would be, that's the dream. That's, that's what we want to see. That's awesome. And it really, I can't celebrate enough your, your approach to this in terms of sharing, um, mm. sharing wildly. Um, is a bit of an Isto mantra, but but yeah. you, the, the the way you guys really are leading from the front, that really can't can't celebrate you enough for that. Right. Yeah, well, I, th- I mean, it goes back to that whole thing. Like, if you, I think, if you've got something that works, then you, and it's doing like a social good, then yes, you can monetize it and you can protect it and stuff like that. But um, you know, our goal, I think, as people, is to help each other out. And if you have something that works then just share it and I mean ultimately I mean, we're going to be dead pretty soon anyway or like 20-30 years so um, you know hopefully the work will continue long after whoever started it is no longer there mm-hmm. um, it doesn't need to carry a name it doesn't need to carry a brand like people going into the ocean in a structured way is um, we're all starting to learn the simple things we can do to make the ocean even more therapeutic than it already is so if, if that continues long after everyone else who's started it's here so much the better yeah and that's what's got to be remembered. I don't think anyone needs to particularly remember, <laughs> like you or me or some name. I think, yeah, rather get the work out there, share it. Um, that would be cool. I, I can't think of a better legacy for Isto essentially to have. Yeah, you know, it'd be so, so cool. Um, the, the, so one last thing I really want to touch on is something that's come up time and again, and I'm biased about mm. this particular topic, but you keep talking about research, learning, 
Um, yeah. And again, it just be really, it's really great to hear firstly that you guys do prioritize that so much. Um, mm. Again, as a researcher, I am biased in that regard. But, but for you as a successful practitioner who's planted a lot of stuff, what is the, why is research so important? Why is an evidence-based so important for you going forward and delivering quality surf therapy? Yeah, I mean, the cool thing with research is it tells you what works and what doesn't. So if you work in a business, you do market research because you want to know if I'm going to introduce a product, is it going to be successful? So does the market need it? What does it want? How does it want it to be packaged, priced, developed, whatever? If you do the same thing in the social space, you need to do the same. I think you should go through the same process because then you know that you're responding effectively to what people on the ground want. And I think you can only really do that through research. Um, it's quite difficult to do it in the social space because it costs a bit of money. Um, quite often when you're starting up, you don't have the money. So we are very fortunate with um, with Elizabeth and some of the other people that came in voluntarily did some research. We always need to do more and the research that we do is, is, is pretty good. Um, but again, we're at the stage now where a lot of it is, has become internal. So we employ our own staff. So we'll do some um, external research next year. But um, from the point of view of introducing a service, you want to make sure that it's the right one and that it's and it's working. I think also when you start sharing it and you want to get more people connected to the service, you want to make sure that it works. But also when you start asking people for funding um, or maybe insurance companies to start underwriting it or doctors to start prescribing it, you can't even get in the same room as those people without some evidence base. So... I think a surf therapy starts to stop being laughed about and starts to and starts to be taken more seriously. I think we're all quite enthusiastic about where it could go, and you know, very evangelical about spreading it to lots of different places. But ultimately, unless we've got a really strong, um, respected evidence base, we're still going to get laughed out of the room when we go and talk to the people who make the decisions around, including in healthcare policies. Uh, freeing up big pots of money to prescribe it to people that can't necessarily pay because they're the people that really do need it most of the time. Um, so if you don't invest in that early, and we've got such an enormous opportunity to do that now because there's this big enthusiasm. Surfing's going to be an Olympic sport in 2020, so the IOC is going to get behind it. There's Yeah, there's a massive opportunity to, to strike now. Um, and that might not be there in like two or three years. So if we don't make hay now, then um, yeah, we might just miss the boat. Um, and it's quite hard, you know, when that boat sailed to regain ground, you know, on, on these guys. So, um, yeah, I think, I know, yeah, there's kind of detractors from it and it does take time and it does take money and it is not any social science research, like trying to work out how does something make you feel and how does it change? It's really difficult to research, but ultimately we're never going to get taken seriously if we don't have a good solid database behind us. So, um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we, we just got to do it. So we can get away with wearing our board shorts these presentations as long as we've got the RCTs behind us, essentially. Oh, there's nothing better <laughs> than going toe-to-toe with a, with a psychologist or psychiatrist <coughs> wearing board shorts. Yeah. They look and they frown at you and they're like, nah, you're full of nonsense. And then you can actually start pulling out peer-reviewed studies and like proper, proper data. And um, yeah, then they all get jealous and think, damn. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good feeling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Um, I guess the final thing is, if people want to find out more about ways for change, about the work you're doing, yeah, what's the best thing to do? How can they get in touch? Where can they find out more information? I just go like, um, 
I'd say go on our website, but everyone's on Instagram now, so just go on Instagram, so <laughs> Ways to Change Instagram. Uh, just Google Ways to Change, our website comes up. Um, main office is in Cape Town, South Africa, so if you're in and around, um, drop us an email, and yeah, we'll see you know, if we can get you down to the, you know, come and join a session on the beach. Um, yeah, and I'd definitely say check out the International Surf Therapy Organization, because that's... Um, is something that we're really proud to be part of and we want to see that fly next year. So I think what's that? That's it's in, in, uh, International Surf Therapy on Instagram. I think it's esto.org on, yeah, it's, it's, on the web. It's INTL Surf Therapy. therapy or, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll make sure those links are underneath before yeah, below yeah. as well. But. Um, yeah, but definitely check it out. And I th- yeah, I think next year is going to be interesting. I think the more people that collaborate, uh, the research that's starting to come out, yeah, we might start getting taken seriously at last. <laughs> Perfect. That's that's the dream. That's what we all want. Yeah, so. be cool, isn't it? Awesome. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time, and thank you so much for sharing your journey and and just yeah, being so open about ways to change. Yeah. No, cheers, man. Keep yeah, keep doing this. Like keep researching it and keep putting the you know keep putting everyone in the spotlight, and it's the only way that people listen. So no, thanks for having me on and starting Stoked Research. It's really cool. Yeah, no worries, man. Well, yeah, we'll. Uh, yeah, we'll see you, I guess I'll next see you in Liberia. So. Yeah, I'll see you in Harper. <laughs> if you'd like to find out more or get in touch, please check out our website at www.stokeresearch.com or follow us on Instagram at at Stoke Research. As always, a massive thank you to our principal partners, the Wave Garden Scotland, who make all of this possible bringing the world's first cold water wave pool to Edinburgh in 2020. And stay tuned for the next Stoat Research Surf Therapy podcast coming soon.